Welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge. I'm your host, Edward Russell, and I'm joined by my colleague, Jay Shavit, to discuss the busy week of U.S. airline earnings and EasyJet's latest numbers. Please enjoy. Hey, Jay, how are you doing this week? Hello, Ned. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. We're almost through earnings season, at least in in North America. Most uh, major airlines have reported, except for Frontier, that's going on Wednesday, and Mesa Airlines, which will go on Thursday. But you know, we're we're through the the meat, the thick of it. Any any highlights, Jay, that popped out to you? Yeah, right, Ned. So uh, as you mentioned, we're talking uh, Wednesday morning here. So Frontier hasn't reported. They're the only, and you mentioned Mesa as well. But of the big, uh, there are what is it, eleven big uh, kind of scheduled U.S. carriers, and all of them have reported their fourth quarter results so far, except for Frontier. We're going to get them in a couple hours. So by the time everyone is listening to this, uh, you'll you'll have that information as well. Uh, but as of right now, we have Allegiant uh, as the leader uh, in terms of operating margin, and all oh, these these numbers, any any number that I that I give is going to exclude any kind of extraneous accounting item called special items. So ignore that. But Allegiant in the fourth quarter earned a 16% operating margin. Fantastic result there. Uh, Delta came in second at 12%. United American right behind them. So you can see the big three, uh, United Delta American, had a very good quarter. Uh, and that uh, indicates to me, all double-digit margin, which is great. That indicates to me that they're... Uh, you know, intercontinental markets must be doing pretty well. The transatlantic has to be, you know, just very, very strong right now. We've, we've heard from a few executives that transatlantic, particularly in international broadly, is is pretty much minting money right now. But uh, yeah. Yeah, right, right. It's a, like, like a money tree, <laughs> which is uh, you don't see that very often in the airline industry. But that's uh, that's got to be very good um, because the domestic oriented airlines, short haul domestic, you know, short haul international they uh, tended to produce lower margins last quarter. Uh, the very worst was Southwest, and I think they not there's not too much analysis needed there. I mean, they just had that operational meltdown from hell, and uh, that kind of led them to a negative six percent operating margin for the quarter. They did make money for the full year, though. Um, the only other airline that lost money in the fourth quarter at the operating level was Hawaiian Airlines. There too, not a whole lot of analysis needed to know what's going on. They have essentially Japan problem, a little bit of an inner island problem as well. Southwest is competing heavily. Uh, That's right. I mean, I forget the exact percentages, but Japan was a huge part of their their revenue, uh, you know, before the pandemic, and the market only really is reopened late last year, so it was a bit late for Hawaiian to really feel much recovery. <laughs> in their 2022 financial year, 2023 maybe so, but it's uh yeah, like you said, it's it's not much analysis is needed there. Yeah, you have to you have to think that Japan uh, tra- traffic will will start coming back eventually. And the in the call that they did, couple, whenever Hawaiian went, was it one or two weeks ago? They did say that that Japan outbound travel is has not yet started coming back, um, but uh, you'd have to believe at some point it would. So that's your kind of fourth quarter wrap up. Now for the full year. There were three airlines um, that did, uh, everybody made money except for three in the US, and that was of the scheduled carriers. And that was Spirit, JetBlue, and Hawaiian. So this gets a little bit more interesting. We'll talk We'll talk about Spirit a little in depth here. You know, why did 
why is Spirit and JetBlue kind of lagging the rest of the industry here? Um, why why weren't they able to make money in 2022 and seem like everybody else was able to? Um, and that's an interesting question. And uh, yeah, we kind of looked. Uh, you know, we ran a story about it in uh, in airline uh, on the yeah, for Airline Weekly yesterday. Well, uh, it was Tuesday, uh, and there, you know, a lot of their story is sounds pretty familiar. Um, very strong on the revenue side, and just a lot of cost problems, particularly unit cost problems. They're not utilizing their aircraft nearly as much as they they should. There and there's reasons for that. You know, why can't why aren't they utilizing the aircraft? Well, there's you know there've been pilot shortages. There've been you know uh, training bottlenecks. There've been you know air traffic control congestion that's forced them to kind of spread out their flights or not fly as much as they would like to. So, and we've heard this from so many other airlines too, and uh, even not even just in the U.S. from around the world. So, Spirit definitely has a lot. Now, some of that stuff may be a little bit more important to Spirit than it is for other airlines because they're, you know, that ultra low cost business model. They really, really need to, you know, utilize the heck out of their assets. That's that's a big part of how they succeed. Um, right. So, yeah, keeping just, costs stay really low and and yep. you know to to make their low fares work and their high fees. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's uh, remains to be seen. You know, they they say they'll be back to kind of normalized rates of utilization in the fourth quarter by, by what do they say, by the end of 2023. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the big test for them. And uh, you know, a few other things they, they mentioned, they, you know, one thing is that they're flying more off peak capacity now, just for the simple reason they don't want to, but just for the simple reason that they feel like they have to spread out their flights more, you know, if they put too much capacity in the peak, they won't be able to fly it because of all this other, you know, all these other infrastructure uh, bottlenecks that that are, uh, you know, assailing the industry right now, the air traffic control and whatnot. So they feel like they have to kind of spread out their flights and that's resulted in lower load factors. So even on the revenue side, they're getting a little bit of hit there too. Um, they did say, however, that um, I think they reported a, a little bit of weakness over the Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, holiday, uh, but they kind of dismissed that and said, you know, they're looking at President's Day, which is a big, big holiday for Florida in particular coming up. They said that looks, you know, perfectly fine. Uh, and beyond that, you know, looks looks good as well. So no problems on the demand side. Uh, there yeah. is one thing, and we were talking about this earlier, Ned. Um, I am starting to get a little bit suspicious about the uh, the Florida market. I mean, I think the assumption is that Florida and the Caribbean are doing, you know, just gangbusters because, I mean, I know I've tried looking for flights to Florida and they're all real expensive and, you know, everybody seems to want to go down there um, in this, uh, you know, they're, they're everybody's in revenge travel mode and I haven't haven't been out of my house in two and a half years. I need to get some sunshine. And, and that seems to be, you know, that was kind of the working assumption. I do wonder though, because, uh, you know, JetBlue is a very Florida Caribbean heavy airline. Spirit is a very Florida Caribbean Caribbean heavy airline. And both of those carriers kind of didn't do so well. And I wonder if maybe Florida is not all that it's cracked up to be. Maybe um, there is just, you know, certainly been a lot of new capacity that's gone on there. Maybe Frontier um, will shed some light on this because they've grown their Florida franchise quite a bit uh, in the past couple of years as well. Um, But anyway, it's just a thought. I don't, you know, I'm not (laughs) uh, putting forward a, uh, you know, a thesis here, but but I it's it is something that's kind of floating around in my mind that maybe Florida is not quite all that it's cracked up to be. Well, 
you know, when you talk about Florida and, and it's funny, I feel like we've seen this ebb and flow of Florida capacity in the past, you know. I think back, we saw, you know, in the 80s, we had Eastern and, you know, Pan Am National. I mean, all these airlines were big in Florida and they Piedmont and then they pulled back and we see new carriers come in. The growth has always been there. Florida has continued to grow, but it's not been a linear, you know, it's not been a straight line for for once. And the truth is, is, is we've seen, like you said, a ton of capacity. JetBlue and Spirit are already big there. Southwest is big there. We've got Frontier growing, Avalo growing, Breeze growing. It it does make you wonder if there's just a point. And and like you said, I I do think revenge travel might be ebbing at this point. Of course, people still want to get out, but it's uh it's yeah it's that's a good question. Now I mean, you know we say this without any specific data, but it's uh, it's interesting to look at. Yeah yeah no, and it's something we'll definitely look into. Uh, you know, try to try to get some more color on that. Um, I mean, Allegiant, they've got a lot of Florida. They they did, you know, they did fantastically well last quarter. So, you know, who knows? They're obviously they have big Las Vegas franchise as well. And, you know, some it's not all Florida, but uh, yeah, it's just just something to think about going forward. Um, and then just, you know, back on spirit. Yeah, that's that's uh, the question is, uh, you know, can they get their kind of unit cost back under control um, while still you know, right now they're, you know, they'd be, they'd be doing a lot worse right now if, if their revenue wasn't so strong. So, you know, we don't know how long it's going to last Florida or anywhere. I mean, it's just industry-wide. That's kind of a giant question hanging over 2023 is, you know, will there be some kind of recession? Will there be, you know, something that uh, um, causes, you know, this extreme revenue strength that we've been seeing to, to dissipate? And we don't, we don't know that. I mean, so far, Zero evidence of that. Every airline is saying, uh, you know, things remain very, very strong, uh, but that's uh, yeah. in the back of everyone's mind. Well, and I, I, the, the, we, I, we, I know we need to wrap this up, but I want to say a Spirit JetBlue merger also would be a good, could be a good catalyst for some capacity rationalization into Florida because they are two uh, large Florida not base care, but two carriers with large presences in Florida, we could definitely see some rationalization in places like Fort Land, Fort Lauderdale, Orlando, if uh, if the merger goes forward. But that is something we, of course, wouldn't know for for quite some time. But that yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I think yeah. that's a big part of JetBlue's motivation for for buying Spirit is uh, you know we want to kind of mitigate the uh, the capacity pressures in in a market like Florida and the Caribbean. So yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, Jay, we will be right back and we're going to head down to South America in our second half. And we're back. So, Jay, this week we've gotten uh, or in the last few weeks, we've gotten some interesting news out of South America. The first being that Azul uh, might be in some financial trouble uh, despite revenues passenger numbers, everything growing, and uh, JetSmart in, in Chile might be looking to derail the Avianca Viva merger. Uh, Jay, you, you you took a look at J- Azul CEO John Rogerson's comments back in December. What uh, what did he say about the situation there? Yeah, and, and Azul, just to, uh, you know, for, for maybe perhaps not everybody uh, is familiar with the market. So there's essentially three big airlines in Brazil right now. There's, there's Latam, Gol, and, and Azul. And uh, I went back. So yeah, there's Azul and Gol. They um, Brazil is a very tough airline market. I mean, there's always there's always something going on, and uh, you know something always challenging going on on the on the balance sheet side with with 
uh, whether it be foreign exchange volatility or, or uh, you know, it's just just a lot of um, or economic distress. There's, there's it's it's not an easy place to run an airline. And so uh, Azul back in December did a big uh, investor day event, and I think we wrote about it last month. But um, I went back and reread the transcript yesterday, and uh, they it, it's you can see I kind of second time around I kind of noticed more closely that they they do um, they definitely have some unfinished business, let's call it, on restructuring sort of post pandemic. Um, you know, whether it be aircraft leases or money that they borrowed from investors through bond issuances or whatnot. Um, so there's, you know, I think they have a lot left. Now, one thing that you have to remember about sort of this is kind of true of South American general, Latin American general, is that they never airlines never really received much government support uh, like they have. They received most... none. I don't think any country in South America gave airlines any direct support. Pretty so, much nothing. Pretty much yeah. so. It's yeah. Whereas you know the U.S. Uh, airlines, a lot of the European airlines, uh, Japanese airlines. I mean, there's yeah, there there you know it's big big aid packages. So a lot of these carriers have been forced to restructure on their own, and that's you know partially why you saw LATAM file for bankruptcy and Aeromexico file for bankruptcy and Avianca file for bankruptcy, and so far Gol and Azul have avoided that step. Um, but I don't think that it is, uh, you know, a sure thing that they they will be able to. Um, and I, I want to interject yeah. there, Jay. Gol yeah. and Azul, part of the reason they avoided that is they were able to reach out-of-court agreements with their creditors, with their lessors, to, to push off some payments. And that may be, uh, you know, I don't know for sure, but maybe part of the reason Azul is in trouble right now, if you look at their debt maturities, they jump in 2024 by... A significant amount. So and that's debt that they restructured or took on during the pandemic. And, and I know you're probably getting to it, but that those debt maturities are largely in US dollars. And of course, they are most of their revenues in Brazilian real. And the Brazilian real is down 30% or more versus the US dollars. So that's, uh, it's, it's not good when you when you have debt due in one currency and, and you're earning, you know, <laughs> your earnings in another are, are down significantly. Yeah, yeah, I think like gold, for example, like ninety six or something percent of the revenues are in reais, and then maybe forty percent are in U.S. dollars, and so it's it's yeah, that that that's just a, a killer when your local currency goes down like that, and you're not, you know, there's some airlines. If you're, uh, I don't know, you know, if you're if you're an airline that receives a lot of, uh, or even in Mexico, for example, you're receiving a lot of U.S. dollars when you sell your tickets because a lot of your customers are. Americans flying to visit, you know, your beaches in Cancun or whatever, but it's different in Brazil. It's it's pretty much all Brazilians that are buying the tickets. So you're collecting money in rise, and you have to in rise, and you have to, you know, pay your, a lot of your obligations in dollars. Now there has been some relief on the currency side. The dollar has weakened a bit in recent weeks, so that could help. Um, and you know, demand from everything we've heard so far is still very strong. Uh, in Brazil. So maybe they get out of this alive. Now, one big challenge is that the airlines that were able to restructure their aircraft leases in particular during, you know, early on in the pandemic. And I think of a, you know, carrier like Norwegian, for example, um, they were able to do it at a time when the aircraft market was very distressed. So they had a lot of negotiating leverage. You can go to a lessor and basically say, you know, cut me a good deal 
or you know, what else are you going to do? You know, nobody else wants your plane. It's different now. The aircraft market is very tight, especially for the planes that go on Azul Fly. You know, the the Max and the Neo. Um, those are very you know very hot in the market right now. So if you're a lessor, you don't have a lot of incentive to you know take a big discount. At some point, you just say, "All right, you don't want to pay pay up? Okay, I'll just take the plane and I'll send it to somewhere else in the world." You can you can and do that as a lessor. And that's what SAS faced in in Scandinavia. Yes. They did not yes. restructure their leases early in the pandemic, like other airlines. And then when they went around to do it in 2021, late 2021, early 2022, lessers basically, you know, balked at the idea. These are airplanes that are in high demand. Why Why are we going to give you better rates? And, and that prompted SAS's July 5th, I believe, bankruptcy chapter 11 filing. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, Azul is in a interesting position. And to yeah. be clear, we don't know if they're going to file for Jackie or not, the, the, my understanding, based on the reporting, and, and I should say this was a story was broken by Air Finance Journal, <laughs> is that they probably want to achieve this out of court. So, all given the strength of the market, I imagine that's the the likely outcome. But of course, we can't take anything off the table. Yeah, you don't want to go to court unless you have to. But uh, in this case, who knows? Um, because of you know things that we were just talking about, the aircraft market being tight and, and whatever. Um, yeah, definitely, you you wanted to. <laughs> You, it, it was a much better time to uh, to be in bankruptcy in uh, 2020 than it is in 2023. Now, of course, in 2023, you have the demand going for you, so that uh, that's you know, for sure might be able to allow you to to pay your bills, you know, by just generating good good cash flow, good profits, um, which you know I think I think is true. That's the funny thing about these Latin American carriers offline filing for bankruptcy or on the verge of it. Uh, they're all, I mean, most of them are doing pretty well at the operating level. I mean, just to give you an example, um, Azul in the third quarter, they have not reported Q4 yet. But in the third quarter, Azul earned a uh, a 9% operating margin, which is good. I mean, that's they, they had a good quarter, but they, they just have all this debt that they have to pay back and depreciated currencies and whatnot. So it's... You know, and don't forget fuel. A, fuel rose a hundred yes. some, a hundred and sixteen, a hundred plus percent uh, in twenty twenty two. Of course, that oil was higher, but they also have to pay the fuel bill in U.S. dollars. So the depreciation just exacerbated that. So yeah, you pay a lot that of, in dollars as well. I mean, your aircraft maintenance in do- dollars, your aircraft insurance in dollars, etc. So yeah, a lot of uh, the only the big the big thing you don't have to pay in dollars is your labor. I mean, that's usually local. Most of your you know employees at the in the airport and, and your flight attendants you're paying paying them in the local currency, but uh, which is why you know a goal would be like forty percent of their costs are in dollars and not a hundred percent. But um, but yeah, so that's uh, and and interestingly, you know, with with Azul, one of the things they tried to do uh, was it a year ago. Something like that. Maybe it's maybe it's in 2020. They tried to buy LATAM's Brazilian franchise, I believe it was. Um, yes. So they thought maybe through consolidation they can, you know, perhaps raise fares and you know boost cash flows and earnings that way. Ultimately, it didn't work. But uh, no. consolidation, the Bra- and keep in mind the Brazilian market is already very consolidated. Only through when Avi- Avianca Brazil was a fourth major carrier. And they collapsed in 2019 for some some of the same reasons we've we've been talking about. But now um, Azul is, uh, you know, they they tried to go from three airlines to two. Didn't happen. I don't know if even regulators would have allowed that. And then just to kind of come full circle, your original 
I think you mentioned this at the onset, Ned, is that we just heard news today that uh, I think was it Reuters who reported that yeah, JetSmart uh, yeah. is is interested in trying to buy Viva Air in Colombia, which would foil Avianca's acquisition of Viva Air. And uh, it could create a much larger uh, low-cost franchise spanning at least the western western half of uh, western side of, of South America. And that, you know, we, we know consolidation is going to happen in Latin America, but it's interesting. Now it, it's a bidding war. It, it may be at least if, uh, if, if Viva Air will, you know, entertain JetSmart's offer. Yeah, you wonder. And the regulators have been involved in that to some degree, too. I mean, I think they gave Avianca a hard time. Uh, and uh, then maybe they, you know, sort of reconsidered, and and now, yeah, as you say, we we may have a a bidding war going on. Um, the yeah, the other kind of side story here is uh, or question to ask is can the low cost model um, is there a lot of growth in South America for for that model? Um, and I'm a bit of a skeptic on that, but uh, certainly uh, JetSmart, which which is owned by the way, same same investment group, uh, Indigo Partners that. Is involved with uh, Wizz Air and Volaris and Frontier in the U.S. Uh, so JetSmart, JetSmart is is part of that group, and uh, they, you know, they obviously believe that there's a, you know, there's a market there um, for more low cost flights. Uh, they certainly have a lot of that whole group has a, you know, hundreds of Airbus Neos on order. Um, so that's, uh, you know, that remains to be seen. I'm a bit skeptical for different reasons that we've written about in the past, but uh, yeah, definitely something to watch. Definitely. We will be watching that. And everyone, you can read more on airlineweekly.com. We do daily updates, AW dailies, where many of these issues are covered. And then, of course, go more in depth in our weekly issue that comes out every Monday. You can reach myself, Edward Russell, at er at skiff.com. You can reach Jay at js at skiff.com. Jay, always a pleasure. Thanks, Ned. Likewise. And uh, yeah, see you next week. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.